And all God's people said, praise the Lord. I want to draw attention to the screen. Get the cameras on the screen, too, so the folks at home can see this. This spinning top. Can you all see it? Now, to the younger generation may not know this, but uh, when we were young, you remember, we used to play that game, spinning the top. Don't raise your hand if you're my my generation. (laughs) We... It was different from this. Mine was a lot smaller. And we flip it up, and, 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 and we competed on seeing which top would spin longest. And we compared top sizes and shapes. And then we got older. <laughs> and we ceased to spin tops. Oh, but we allowed our lives to spin like tops. We compete to see whose life can spin faster and longer. Uh, We think of ways of how to spin our lives bigger and better. Let me give you three comparisons between spinning tops and spinning lives, okay? And if the cap fits, wear it, all right? Spinning tops have to have a big head, and a thin base. (laughs) It cannot remain standing unless it's spinning. A top is always spinning around itself. Now, I'm going to, as I said, leave it with you, and you think long and hard, but I'm going to apply this. Spinning lives with spinning tops. When your life is spinning like a top, it means that you do have a big head and a thin base. You cannot stand still unless you're spinning, and you're spinning around yourself. Okay, now I get to the serious stuff. This is a far cry from the life that Jesus wants his disciples to live. This is a far cry from living like Jesus. Whose disciples? Jesus. And Jesus wants his disciples to live like Jesus. So I want you to turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. It's a very familiar passage, but don't run ahead of me because I may not go where you're going. I probably might have some other things differently than you understood that familiar, very familiar. But for those who are visiting with us, I want you to know this has been a series of four foundational columns to the life of Jesus' disciples. We saw, first of all, that we only go on the authority of Jesus, not ours. We don't have any. Then we have a total loyalty to Jesus. A disciple must love like Jesus. And today I'm going to conclude those four series, Living Like Jesus. In the next four messages, I'm going to basically deal with required curriculum for a disciple of Jesus. These are the required courses. You you, you cannot skip them. 
And uh, we're going to be looking at this curriculum together for the following four weeks. But here, I hope you found Luke 10, beginning at verse 30. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the Word of God, and we're going to look at the screen. It's going to show up, and I am going to read the first verse, then I'll let you take it over from here. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Our precious Heavenly Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus that you open our hearts, both speakers and listeners, to your word, that it may go deep into the soil of our hearts and produce fruit in due season. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said amen. Amen. This story that Jesus tells is a summary of his own life and mission. This is Jesus' story. And let me put it in context, okay? The discussion was and began by a lawyer was trying to quiz Jesus. Now, let me tell you, I love lawyers. I really do. And the lawyers in this church know that I love them and I appreciate them. And this is not because I'm setting them up so I can hit on them. No. (laughs) I really do. This lawyer wanted to know what kind of life could he live in order that he may earn eternal life. You see, always thinking of earning eternal life. First, Jesus quoted the Scriptures. We saw that in the last message, loving like Jesus and why it was a new command that Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. But Jesus quoted the Old Testament, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, etc., and then love your neighbor as yourself. As I said, we saw that very clearly in the last message. If you went here, please download it, because it's a very important part of the chain. But lawyers, you have to understand, they're very practical people. They're very practical they down to earth. They, they want to go for, you know, the bottom line. They don't want to kind of, uh, not interested in composition. They wanted real stuff. 
So they wanted to, this man wanted, this lawyer wanted to know how this loving God and your neighbors actually work in day-to-day life. How, how is this going to, I mean, how are you going to live it? It's one thing to recite it, and it's called the Shama in the Hebrew language, and, and they will say, oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and the Lord your God, and they will just rattle it every day, literally. But this man really wants to know, how does this work in my daily life? How does it work in my daily living? If, if, if I am to love my neighbor, first of all, define who is my neighbor. Some of you old enough, old enough to remember that uh, there was a former president, uh, who's a former lawyer as well, in a deposition. He said the following, he said, it depends on your, on your definition of what is, is. See, that's, that's lawyer's talk. Define what my neighbor is. Well, let me give you first a Yusuf translation, actually a Yusuf interpretation, okay? You're not going to find it this way in the Bible. As if Jesus saying to this man, let me bring the cookie jar all the way to the bottom shelf so that even a child can reach it. And he tells him a story that illustrates Jesus' own life. And by implication... It's a model for any disciple or would-be disciple of Jesus. Now, I want to give it to you um, like you've never seen it before, perhaps, because it's a familiar story. And this is a picture of someone who is in desperate need. I mean, this man is in desperation. It's between life and death. Can't get more desperate than that. And uh, he gets bypassed by the very people, the very people who are supposed to meet needs. Uh, This desperate man gets bypassed by the very people who were commanded by God to exercise mercy. Uh, He gets bypassed by the very people who could have met, met his need, but their lives being spinning like a top around itself, they ignored him. He gets bypassed by the very people who are supposed to help him. The first was a priest. The priest bypassed him, and uh, priests in the Old Testament were actually commissioned by God to minister to hurting people. You remember every time Jesus healed the leper, he said, go, go to the priest, because that's part of the uh, priesthood in the Old Testament. They're partly medical, partly, partly uh, help, partly uh, a meeting of that need. He saw the bleeding man, and he looked the other way, and he just kept walking. They didn't see anything. And then he followed by a Levite. Now, the Levites were consumed by religious rituals, and all day long, religious rituals, religious rituals, uh, they were spinning around religious rituals. And so he too pretended he didn't see anything and just kept walking and looking the other way. Now, beloved, please listen to me. This is a picture also of ineffectiveness, the ineffectiveness of religious rituals. In fact, dead rituals freezes the hearts. Dead rituals 
cannot save souls. Dead rituals cannot meet real needs. Well, then a Samaritan was passing by. Well, let me tell you, I know preachers exaggerate, <laughs> and they always have this bad reputation. And as I often say, I'm not exaggerating, I'm just blowing it up so you can see it. <laughs> but, but I'm not, I, I cannot exaggerate, I really cannot exaggerate the incredible, the ludicrousness of this story. In, and, and you'll understand what I mean, I don't want to be uh, uh, blasphemous. Samaritan, helping a Jew, is, is absolutely incongruous in that time. Because historically, the Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews returned the favor. Uh, they, but, but they really were related to each other. They were relatives, because the Samaritans were part Jews and part Gentiles. And the truth is, Due to no fault of their own, the Samaritans ended up in, in no man's land. They, 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 they were hated by the Jews, they were hated by the Gentiles. They were kind of a, a, a really in, in precarious situation. They couldn't fit with the Jews, they couldn't fit with the Gentiles. They were uh, really a desperate people, in, if you think about it this way. And I want you to think about this long and hard. And yet, even though the Samaritan is alienated, even they're rejected, even they're despised, he does four important things. He does four important things that actually illustrate what our rejected, despised, maligned Lord Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. Here are the four things, and I have them all start with the same letter, so I pray to God you don't forget them for a long time or ever. The first thing he did, he stopped. Secondly, he stooped. Thirdly, he served. And finally, he saved. Let's read them together, okay? They are up there. Here you go. Go for it. First of all, he stopped. Now, we know virtually nothing about this Samaritan man, and yet when you think about it, he has inspired countless of people, countless of people for 2,000 years. Think of how many ministries and how many churches and how many hospitals are called the Good Samaritan. <laughs> Remember this, this Samaritan was not on a holiday because I tell you, nobody take that road that was absolutely filled with robbers, filled with danger, unless you have a very serious business to attend to. You don't go there if you want to go for a walk in the park. <laughs> That's not a place you go to. So he was not uh, on holiday, got plenty of time, or, or this Samaritan was, was, was not sort of sitting idly by looking for something to do. This Samaritan did not even... <laughs> have few hours to kill. No. You don't go on that road from Jericho to Jerusalem or vice versa unless you have serious business to attend to. And you remember in, in John chapter 4, 
Jesus deliberately went that road because there's a Samaritan woman there who needed to be saved. And Jesus would do anything to walk to save that woman. And so, he has a schedule to keep. And he's confronted with a, a desperate Jew, a needy Jew, and the Samaritan therefore had a choice. Should I get involved or stick to my plan? Follow my program. Jesus said something absolutely shakes me to the core in John chapter 10. He said, I have authority. I had authority to lay it down, talking about his life, and I have authority not to do it. But I chose to lay it down and take it back up again. He said, that is why my father loves me. That's why my father loves me. Jesus could have chosen to stay in heaven or leave the splendor of heaven to come to desperate people. Jesus could have said, I have a universe to run. I have a world to take care of. Why should I go down to this miserable, sin-filled earth? But I'm absolutely grateful to the Lord, and I will be until I see Him face to face, that He did come to redeem us and redeem every repentant sinner. Can I get an amen? amen? Had he not stopped to experience firsthand our miserable condition, our sinful world, our guilt-stricken lives, and our hell-bound eternity, you and I would not be eternally saved. And we wouldn't be here today. Oh, that is why every true disciple of Jesus, every true disciple of Jesus must live in total gratitude to Jesus for stopping. Please listen to me. To all of Jesus' disciples and would-be disciples, how many people around you that are desperate for salvation have you stopped have you stopped to ponder their desperate condition? I was speaking the other day in, in Sydney, Australia. Some of you might have seen the program on television. And I said, I never joke about hell. Because real people are going there. And hell for all of eternity. And eternity is a long time. Have you stopped to look at their condition? Have you ever stopped from your busyness, or from your fear of rejection? Have you stopped your spinning lives? Have you ever stopped? Whose disciples? Jesus. But secondly, he did not only stop, he stooped. He stooped. Oh, my goodness. It's one thing to stop and maybe look at the person or just say a comforting word and move on. But it's a whole different ball game to stoop. Why? 
because stooping can be hazardous for your health. Actually, it's not. It's, it's good exercise. <laughs> Try it. But for this Samaritan to stoop is, was very hazardous for, his, for him. It's a very dangerous road. It was filled with robbers. It, 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 people never traveled on that road at night. Not only that, but he risked his own reputation. The reputation, the risk for that reputation with his fellow Samaritan was huge. Listen to me. He did not only stop and stoop to help a fellow Samaritan or a relative or somebody he recognized. No, no, no. He was helping a dying enemy. He humiliated himself. He risked the scorn and the mocking of his fellow Samaritans. Why didn't he just pass on the other side? Why didn't he just look the other way? Why didn't he just shut his eyes and pretend he didn't see just like the priest and the Levite? Why didn't he just pretend that everything is fine? Somebody else is going to take care of it. Why did he not just close his ears to the cry of this desperate man? And Jesus is saying, this man did what I, Jesus, did. This man modeled Jesus. This man was Jesus' true disciple. And he did not only stop, but he stooped. You know, in the next message, I'm going to start those four required curriculum subjects for every disciple. And the first one I'm going to deal with is the sovereignty of God. And let me tell you something. There are a lot of people who misinterpret the sovereignty of God. They really do. Those who misinterpret the sovereignty of God could have said to that desperate man in this situation, oh, if God wants him to be saved, he will be saved. If God wants him to be saved, he doesn't need my help. William Carey, the founder of the mission movement over 200 years ago, was a simple man. He was a cobbler. But he went to Bible college at night, and he, and he had the passion and the burning desire to go to India. And then he appeared before a council of bishops, before he would give him permission to go to be a missionary in India and open up the whole mission field, modern mission movement in the West. One of the bishops said to him, he said, young man, if God wants to save the heathens, he will save them without your help. Sit down. I'm glad he didn't. He went on, impacted the nation of India. This is a total misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God. And I'll deal with that in the next message. God in his sovereign will, chose to reach others through his disciples. Don't ask me why God, in his divine wisdom, chose to save others through his disciples. 
And I'm going to level with you. I, that's a question that always, always really bugged me, always bothered me. Why would he choose flawed human beings as his disciples? And then he would ask them to do his bidding to reach others for Christ. I will not understand this until I get to heaven. <laughs> all in all, I would rather choose to be obedient to Christ even above life itself. Whose disciple? Jesus. Jesus did not only stop, he stooped. He laid aside his royal diadem. He laid aside the praises of the angels. He laid aside the majesty of his office. He laid aside his limitless sovereign power. And he stopped. And he stooped into our world. Why? so that he may experience what we experience, so that he may feel what we feel, so that he may become one of us. And more than anything else, more than anything else, he stooped so that he may pay for the penalty of your sin and my sin. He stooped to take upon himself your judgment and my judgment. He stooped so that he may open the door of heaven to every repentant sinner. He stooped so that he may build a bridge to his heavenly Father for us. He stooped so that he may become our older brother. Our older brother Jesus. Give him praise. Give him praise. of you who have read my books, particularly Trust and Obey, my story in the 60s when I escaped persecution and escaped the horror of socialist dictatorship, I initially wanted nothing to do with that part of the world. I really did. My wife would tell you, because I met my wife the third week I was in Australia, 53 years ago. I wanted nothing to do. I burned all the bridges, including my passport. I burned everything. I often say, but then the Lord tricked me. He tricked me. And he said, if you want to be obedient disciple, you need to live like Jesus. Only then did I realize that my Savior, stooping for me, and because He stooped for me, I need to stoop like Him. And out of total gratitude to my Heavenly Father for His Son stooping for me, I spend every waking moment thinking about how to bring others to Christ. Every walking moment. This Samaritan did not only stop and stoop, he also served. The president of the seminary that I attended back in the early 70s in Sydney, Australia, Moore College, Dr. Broughton Knox was considered to be one of the most brilliant academically 
his DPhil and Oxford records have never been matched. Brilliant man, and yet the most humble man you'll meet. And he drummed it in our ears, particularly first year seminary. I mean, it, it drummed in my ears that I still remember it every single day. He drummed it in our ears. Remember, the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. And my beloved friends, the greatest service we can perform is being faithful witnesses for what God did for us. This Samaritan man did not only just stop and stooped and then whispered some sweet words in the man's ears and said, hey, look up, have hope, things are going to get better, don't worry about it. No, 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 no. He placed this man on his beast, and he walked. He carried this man's burden. He ministered to this man. He equipped this man back to health. He ensured that this man fully restored. He served. And for all of us disciples of Jesus, who are loving like Jesus and living like Jesus, we need to equip others to be disciples. As most of you know, we have dedicated the decade of the 20s, and I'm not presuming on God. He can take me home anytime, and the rest of the team will follow. <laughs> we'll, we'll just carry on. <laughs> um, but we dedicated that to, to, to pass the whole vision of the church, the whole vision of the gospel to the next generation. And you'll hear a lot more about this in the coming days as Bob Voyles and Mike Slaughter working on this amazing program. And I want to tell you, to witness for Christ, you do not need a seminary degree. You do not to be trained in pop psychology. You don't need to be a great communicator. In fact, one of the bad things about great communicators is they're manipulators, as we see some mega pastors doing these days. They're called great communicators and then deceiving people all the way to hell. Open the Word of God. Do what the blind man in John chapter 9 did when they kept harassing him. He said, look, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. That's his testimony. Also, this Samaritan took this man to others that they may help him. When he recognized he couldn't do everything, he involved others with him. And my beloved friends, listen to you, all you members of this church. This is what our small group and home group ministry is about. Even in his absence, he ensured that this man has been taken care of. And this amazing work that we have in this church and blessed with great leaders in, in the home groups and the small groups, when you lead someone to Christ, take them to your home group or your small group so that others can help in building up the new disciples. This Samaritan paid up front. He paid up front for this man's needs. And my beloved friends, when Jesus died on that cross, He did not only die to save us eternally, that, of course, above all, but by His death, 
was the payment for our salvation and our sanctification. Not just our salvation, but our sanctification. His death was a payment for us who are saved to continue to being saved every day, to ultimately being saved when we see Him face to face in heaven. His death was not only payment for our sin that it was, but it also for sin's damage in our lives. Make no mistake about it, past sins, though forgiven eternally, they leave some damage behind. They leave some scars behind. But the blood of Jesus Christ can take care of the damages as well, whether they're emotional damages, physical damages, or spiritual damages. The payment on the cross was a total payment. Can I get an amen? Amen. Fourthly, like the Samaritan, Jesus did not only stop, stoop, and serve, but He finally saved. He saved. When this Samaritan took this dying man and brought him healing, the healing saved him physically. For this man must, for him to be saved, he needed grace, he needed mercy, He needed restoration. And when the Samaritan did this, the man was physically restored. First of all, he poured his wine and oil on him to cleanse his wounds, to cleanse his wounds, to purify his body, and ultimately to save him. Listen to me. When our precious Lord Jesus Christ shed His blood on the cross of Calvary, He became the only one, the only one, the only one who could heal and cleanse by His blood. He became the only one who could save and restore by His blood. And don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Because this is important, particularly in these days in which we are living All of the legislation in the world cannot do this. All of the politicians in the world cannot do this. All of the politics in the world cannot do this. All of the motivational preachers in the world cannot do this. All of the military powers of the world cannot do this. All of the technologies of the world cannot do this. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse the heart from hatred, racism, rebellion, and sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can purify heart and mind. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can transform lives. And that is why the disciple of Jesus needs to live, to learn to live like Jesus. Just in case you think I made it, no. I'm learning every day. I'm failing many times. But that does not stop me from learning to live like Jesus. They need to be introduced. All the desperate sinners need to be introduced to Jesus. Introduce desperate sinners to Jesus. And introducing desperate sinners to Jesus, you need to stop, stoop, serve and help save. 
Beloved, living like Jesus calls us to imitate and emulate Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? I pray to God that this will go deep into our hearts and in our minds today. I'm going to tell you about an historic incident. It's a fact. It's history. It's, 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 it's real. And I'm going to tell you this story as I conclude. And between the late 1800s and early 1900s, there was an Indian evangelist by the name of Sadhu Sundar Singh. I'm not speaking in tongues, but that's his name. He, uh, read everything about him. In fact, I'll put some stuff on the screen so you can so, uh, Google him, uh, read his books. I mean, it was a remarkable, remarkable man. He, he was marvelously converted from militant Hinduism to Christ. An amazing story. Indian believers know this as I traveled throughout India in the past. Now he became a well-known evangelist, so he was invited by some Hindu universities to come and speak to them. And in one symposium in one of the universities in India, where he was invited as a guest speaker, the MC said to him, Mr. Singh, what did you find in Christianity that you did not find or have in Hinduism? man got up, and he said, I found Jesus. And then he sat down again. <laughs> well, amen. Go ahead and give Jesus praise. Come on. <laughs> it's all right. The MC said, well, we know, we know about Jesus, but, but what did you actually find in Christianity? That's not in Hinduism. He got up again. And he said, I found Jesus. And he sat down. And the man got exasperated because he, he did this five times. We understand, we know, we know about Jesus, but, 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 but what did you really find? And he gets up again and said, I found Jesus, and sits down again. And he, seeing this frustration on the part of the MC and the crowd and the student body and the big auditorium and and he said, look, let me tell you a story. Hopefully, we'll illustrate what I'm trying to tell you. He said, there's a man who fell in a ditch. Lots of ditches in some streets of India. He fell in a ditch. He said, first of all, he was desperately calling for people to get him up. And the first person who came by was Krishna. And Krishna looked at him and he said, oh, you poor man, this is your karma. And then he walked away, followed by Buddha. Buddha looked at the man and said, oh, why did you walk on this side of the road and not on the other side of the road where there are no ditches? And he walked away. He was followed by Muhammad. Muhammad came, looked at the man, and felt sorry for him, and he said, my poor man, this is the will of Allah for you, to be in that ditch. Then finally, Jesus came. 
And Jesus looked at this condition of this man. He did not say a word. He took off his robe. He jumped into the ditch. He put the bed on his shoulders, and he took him out. That's what I found in Christianity. I found Jesus. This is what I mean by finding Jesus. And the room went into absolute silence as Mr. Singh presented Christ to the student body. My beloved friends, those of you who heard me for a long time know that I'm not an in-time preacher, but I'm convinced. that we are living in the last days. And the disciples of Jesus better get serious about living like Jesus. Would you pray with me? There may be someone here who say, I know a lot about Jesus, but I never surrendered my life to him. I want you to just stand up where you are. There may be somebody who said, well, I know Jesus. I gave my life a long time ago, but my life is spinning like that top you put on the screen. I want you to stand up. Stop the spinning. And stop, stoop, serve, and save. Stand up where you are. I'm going to pray with you and for you. Michael, my, my life is, is spinning and out of control. I need Jesus into my life. Just stand up where you are, and I'm going to pray with you. Whether you have known Jesus or not known Jesus, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, I'm not going to prolong this. The Spirit of God just prompted to do this literally two, 10 seconds ago. But there's somebody here needs to stand up and say, Jesus... I want to stop the spinning, and I want to focus on you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Up in the balcony, I see you. I'm going to take one more minute. I know there's somebody here that the Holy Spirit has convicted and spoke to. Thank you. Father, you know the secrets of the hearts. We don't have to pretend with you. We cannot. You know us through and through. And I lift up these precious brothers and sisters in Christ, and I pray that you, Holy Spirit, come into their lives, that you empower them, that you encourage them, that you use them, Father, that we all learn as of today to live like Jesus. Lord, I confess to you as many times I've done this, that there are times when I don't, and I ask you for your forgiveness. And Father, help us all in these last days to begin to live like Jesus, so the world will know and will see how we love one another like Jesus, and they will come to believe, for I pray that in his name, all of God's people said amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.